Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Good morning, church family. I am glad you're here. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus, if you would. And we're going to be in chapter 8 today. You might be thinking, we're not getting very far. But they took 40 years, so just remember that. We asked the question earlier, what is God teaching you? And for me, uh, I was asked this at our meetings this week. And for me, the pandemic is like a planner's worst nightmare. (laughs) And like Teresa, I think it is humility. But a second thing that I feel like God is saying to me over and over is to be present right now, today, to recognize that God is still at work. We have a lot to celebrate. And I can't help but look out at this group. I know that we have a group online as well and over here in the fellowship hall. In fact, I heard Krista and Edie making some beautiful music over here, so... Glad you're over there in the fellowship hall. Glad to see people in the balcony as well. I don't know what we're going to do without you commenting online today, but we're so glad you're here. Welcome. <laughs> um, and of course, Steve is here with Michelle, and we're so delighted. Um, we're applauding and giving God thanks for healing, continued healing in your life. Isn't today a gift? We, we just forget that so often, don't we? <laughs> We forget that because we're so worried about what we think we don't have and what we don't have tomorrow, and I'm just thankful that God is present right now. And that's one of my hopes in the book of Exodus that we might pay attention to, is that even in the midst of hardship and difficulty, that God has a bigger plan. He's got an exit strategy for his people, and ultimately, he knows what he's doing, and that's our faith. We can revel in that and celebrate in that today, can't we? Well, we invited you to think about what God's teaching you because we're returning to the plagues this Sunday. I'm going to give it two more messages. I'm not going to give 10 Sundays for 10 plagues, but I am going to hit a couple of the middle plagues here today. And I've chosen these plagues because they introduce a little different twist on the plagues. You might notice it as we read it. If you don't, don't worry, I'll get to it in the course of the message. But what we're noticing through the plagues, nine times out of ten, is that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And I do pray that today our hearts are not hardened, that whatever it is that God is saying, that we receive that, that we obey, that we listen, regardless of all the things we can't change around us, the signs and wonders in Pharaoh's case, that we are paying good attention to what the Lord is saying to us. And ultimately, I'm going to ask a really hard question in this message. Does God treat everyone the same? Because I think these plagues make us think about that in a unique way. And maybe you'll catch on to that as we read them together. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I am reading from Exodus chapter 8, and I'll be reading two of the plagues, the flies and the livestock. Did you come to be blessed this morning? Let's think about God sending a bunch of flies and uh, pestilence on the livestock. I mean, the truth is we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? The flies are dead at this time of year. I'm really grateful. 
I don't know if they're dead, but they're not around me, so I'm happy with that. Exodus 8, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, you remember the pattern, and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. They worshipped deities that represented cows and all these things that they would have done. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, they will, will they not stone us? We must make a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will not let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord tomorrow. The flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices in the Lord. What do you think our chances are of that? We know that this is only number four of ten. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time, also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Remember, I'm not reading all ten, so just hang with me here. It's just, just two of them today. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. The God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If only he would listen. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the fields, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But, the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Have you ever noticed that about these two plagues? The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day, the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found out that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet, his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. Gracious Father, we pray that you would allow our hearts to be found yielding to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen? Please be seated. Amen. I want to invite us to consider a couple of questions, and I want to use these questions to frame my thoughts about this part of the plagues 
walking us through the plagues. As we know, the keystone plague, which we'll deal with next, is the final one, the Passover. And they all lead to that. We know that Pharaoh will not yield his heart until that last plague happens. But I think that plagues four and five are really important to understanding plague number 10. So I want to ask two questions. One is the same question I've asked before. Why these plagues? Why is that so important? Because I think we have new information with these plagues, these two plagues. Why the plagues? And what's God doing through all of this? Why is he at this the way that he's at this? Remember, God does things in his own way, in his own time, for his own glory. And there are reasons for this that we can see and that we can understand and that we can appreciate because I think God still works in the same ways in our lives as well. So that's one thing. I want to I ask why these hardships, why these plagues, why these difficulties? And then I think these plagues beg a question. You heard me talk about the distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And my question is, does God treat everyone the same? I think that's an important question as we look forward to uh, the balance of the plagues. So I'm going to start with this question. Why did God send these plagues? And an answer that I think we've already seen is that the plagues really are about the redemption of God's people. I've offered that the word exodus comes from a word that means exit. So this whole book is about God's people exiting this chapter of salvation history from bondage in Egypt to freedom, albeit wandering in the desert, before they make it to the promised land. That's what this book is about. It's about God producing something good out of something that seems very difficult. And this is the way that he chooses to do it. These fireworks, if you will, that we see. He also tells us that the reason he does this is to reveal his character. Why the plagues? Well, ultimately, it's about this exit strategy. It's about demonstrating to the then most powerful person in the world, the Pharaoh, that God is God and you are not. And so he's revealing his character. And an interesting study, if you want to take a sidebar and research this, it's fascinating. Each one of these 10 plagues corresponds to one of the 10 gods or goddesses that the Egyptians worshipped. For example, uh, the, the god Hopi is, is uh, an anthropomorphic god, the god of reproduction. And so sending frogs... <laughs> is a way of combating that. The Nile River was worshipped. Pharaoh was on his way to the Nile. You can see that. Every one of these is a direct confrontation of these gods, the god of the dirt, throwing the dirt into the air and the flies, etc., etc., etc. It's fascinating to think about it, that God directly confronts each one of these gods. Now, if you want to go to Egypt with me next year, would that be the Lord willing? That is the Lord willing. If you want to go with me next year, uh, you'll be fascinated to hear more. <laughs> about their history and how it meshes with what God is doing in these chapters. Ultimately, God is revealing himself to his people in a really unmistakable way. Now, an interesting thing that you might have noticed, if you go backwards to chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh says, well, who's the Lord that I should obey him? And that's a repeated phrase. Each time so far that Moses has come to him and said, let my people go, he says, no way, who is this, the Lord? And Moses even predicted that question. What if he asks who you are? And God said, don't worry, I'll be with you. He doesn't answer his questions. He says, I'll be with you, I'll be with you, I'll be with you. So who is the Lord? Notice the development that's moving. In chapter 8, verse 8, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said to him, pray to the Lord 
that the frogs would go away. Do you see a shift? Even in Pharaoh's thinking, there's a shift of recognizing, okay, this is really something. And I think that shift is evident in a couple more places at least. One is that Pharaoh bothers to investigate whether or not the livestock for any of the Israelites was killed. Did you notice that? If, I mean, he's, he's really checking this out. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> is this for real? How can this possibly be happening? Here, he's making a profession of faith, isn't he? Tell the Lord. <laughs> Not who is the Lord, but this Lord that you're praying to, tell the Lord. And then if you have your Bibles open, this is just for those folks that might. Verse 28, notice what, what else it says. He says, pray for me. You see a definite shift going on back and forth with Pharaoh, and, and you see some evidence of potential softening, if you will, or at least acknowledging, because he doesn't like the consequences. And that's what Pharaoh's going to have to deal with. It's not, it, it, it's, it's not whether really he's honoring God or not. We know that he won't. But he just doesn't like the consequences of choosing that action. Have you heard the phrase, you can choose your kicks, but you can't choose your kickbacks? Are you with me? If you decide to defy gravity and jump off of a roof, you might get hurt. <laughs> you can decide to do that. You're free to do that. But you don't get to choose the consequences of your freedom. Are you with me? God's still in control. There's a shift there. And through all of this, even Pharaoh is starting to acknowledge something about God. And he, honestly, I mean, he's doing it in a way that's completely unmistakable. Who else could do that? As the, if you notice, as the plagues go, the magicians could duplicate some of those things. They're having trouble uh, as you get deeper into the plagues. And the plagues get more severe and even the magicians are starting to counsel Pharaoh after this plague, if you're familiar with them. Maybe we should let the people go. <laughs> and it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So this is the revelation of God's character. One, it's the redemption of his people. It's God's exit strategy. That's why he's doing the plagues. We've already seen that. We've already seen this one. Why is God doing this? Even why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart? It's for his name's glory. It, it says that all in there. It's so that unmistakably will know, generation after generation, will look back to the Exodus and will say God is God alone, the God of wonders, the God of signs, the God of miracles. So there it is. That, those are two reasons. But here's a reason that you haven't seen yet, and I think it's introduced with plague number four and plague number five. The plagues are about retribution for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And there's some interesting language that I want to show you. This, this isn't just about the Israelites. This isn't just about making God's name known. It's about justice. And there's some interesting phrases throughout the book of Exodus that, that make us think of that and help us to understand that, besides the direct confrontation of the gods with the plagues and lining them up, which I'm sure the Israelites, or uh, which I'm sure both the Israelites as well as the Egyptians could figure out on their own. But in chapter, way back in chapter 1, verse 9, you notice the reason Pharaoh decided to try to kill the uh, Hebrew babies because they were a threat is because they were numerous. There's the word numerous in there. That same word comes up in this plague with the, with the frogs. It says the Nile will teem with, oh, it, it's the plague before this. But I'm not going through all the plagues. This is hard to do to get all ten in one. Get, get my plagues crossed. It sounds like a really serious problem, doesn't it? Get my plagues crossed. It would be a big problem. The Nile would teem with frogs. It's the same word. The, 
the Hebrew people were teeming in the land. It's the same verb uh, description. And the, Ni the Nile will teem with frogs. Okay, Pharaoh, you think it's a problem that they're teeming? What do you think of the frogs? <laughs> they're teeming. And in the Hebrew mind, when, when they hear the same words, they're going to catch that. There's a, there's a couple more, but they say to Moses and Aaron, may, these are the Hebrew slaves who are not happy with Moses because now they have to make bricks without straw, etc., etc. They'll say to Moses and Aaron, may the Lord, um, well, I didn't write it right, but may the Lord judge you because you've made us a stench to Pharaoh. And the key word there is stench. If you move forward in the plagues, when all the frogs die, guess what there is? There's a stench. It's the same word. So it's almost a reversal. Well, do you think that's a problem? So what about what Pharaoh thinks is, is, is uh, so what about what you think is a stench? Pharaoh's going to, or they, so what that Pharaoh thinks you're a stench? Watch these frogs die. Then you're going to find out what a real stench is like. Uh, there's one more. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, and this is the big one. There's, if you will, there's uh, retribution. So there's a retribution of, well, I don't remember. <laughs> I'd have to go backwards. Sorry, I lost my place. There's a retribution of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, you don't get it, the teeming, teeming. There's a retribution of God's people who were upset with this whole process and said that they're going to be extinction. And then there's a retribution that I would call an ultimate retribution. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, and this is where all the plagues are going. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go that he may worship me. Do you remember that language about the son? It's interesting language. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. We know that that's coming. Ultimately, what these plagues are is their retribution. They are son for son. And I think what we're getting is we're getting a buildup to what's going to happen. But isn't this a picture of retribution? Isn't this a picture of God's justice playing out for Pharaoh? God does not ignore the injustices that have been served to his people. And I think that's important because what will happen with Exodus, as we know, is it becomes a, a prototype or a pattern for the strategy of God to redeem his people. So when it comes to our salvation now, New Testament stuff, right? When it comes to our salvation, is God just going to ignore evil in the world? Or will God somehow deal with it? And I think all the way back to Exodus, this issue is really at the forefront of our minds, God's going to trade son for son. You might think, well, if it's just Pharaoh's heart that's hardened, why do all of these other firstborn sons have to die? And what about the animals? What did they do? And, and in our mind, we, we want to look at the justice and we want to question God's justice. And I think that's important for us to think through and to come to some conclusions about, don't you? Now, if you think that's not just because the other people didn't choose, how about the Hebrew people whose babies were being killed? The firstborn of all of the Hebrews were being killed. It was a planned genocide. I'm just saying, in this way, 
the punishment does not exceed the crime. Are you with me? We don't always think of it that way. We don't always see it from that perspective. I get it. If you have problems with it, I do too. I don't like it too much. I don't like retribution. Someone said that we may have a problem with the way God runs the universe, but you and I don't have a universe. (laughs) And there are passages like this, and I've been going through the Old Testament in the last two years with a group of friends, and over and over I encounter the violence in it and the extermination and the slaughter and all these things. And I've been kind of honest in my comments with my friends about it. It's kind of a, it's an online reading group. That I struggle with it, don't you? I, I really do. In perspective, the Old Testament shows us the necessity of Christ. It shows us that there needs to be blood for forgiveness. There needs to be death before there can be redemption. And I I just want us to see it that way, and and I want us to think about Exodus in different terms, not just as the happy rescue, but as the very heavy retribution, because that's what it is. There is going to be sorrow. There is going to be weeping. Why? Because sin is very serious. And we can choose to harden our hearts, but we cannot choose what the consequence of hardening our hearts will be. And have you noticed in this world that one person's sin doesn't just affect that one person, but it affects a whole variety of people? Are you with me? (laughs) When I was in seminary, I, I heard a sermon called, How Much Will Your Sin Cost Me? Isn't that true? This is a fallen world. I mean, I get it. I, I want to I tease out some of the justice issues with you, and I'm about to ask that bigger question, but I just want to say that up front. I know that life isn't fair on this planet. I'm not going to pretend that it is. But in faith, I believe in a fair God, and that is a faith statement. The ultimate justice in this world will be God sending his one and only son to die on behalf of all of our sin. God does not take this lightly. He he doesn't take the oppression of of people lightly. I mean, another angle on this, there's so many angles to it. You know, why did these other Egyptians have to die? Am I the only one that thinks about this stuff? Why did these other Egyptians have to die? And, And in a sense, don't we know that all of their society was complicit with the injustice of what was going on under Pharaoh's rule. Oh, sure, we can say, yeah, yeah, well, he was Pharaoh, so if I oppose him, he'll kill me, right? But didn't Quakers do that early on? They said, I'd rather follow God's principles and pay for it because it's right. All of them were complicit. Are you with me? It's a problem. And we are dealing with a sin on a national scale. And I've invited us all along to be thinking of these, not just as what's going on in my life or what's fair for me, but what's fair for all of us. Because God redeemed 
a whole group of people, two million of them, out of the desert. So think about that. God's retribution, here and now, mysterious stuff. It does beg for me this question. Does God treat everyone the same? What's your answer? I mean, I have three answers. <laughs> no, no, and yes. <laughs> and I want to explain those answers at least for now. This side of eternity, this side of the mystery of understanding things that we can't begin to understand. I'm not going to pretend to try to tell you why bad things happen to good people. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to try to do that. I don't know. I trust in a God who does. And to many, that seems foolish. To me, it seems really logical. No, no, and yes. Does God treat everyone the same? Well, you know, from Exodus, let's take a look at these plagues. Do you remember what the plagues were? I'll answer this, but, but I've got to have you look at the plagues and see how worse they get. Do you remember them all? It's big, fat gnats fly low, boiling hot lava dips flow, drips flow. Let my people go. You memorized this, right? That's a great, great acronym for all the ten plagues. Do you know the first one? Yes, <laughs> blood. Water to blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies. The other one we just looked at. Yeah, the livestock. What's the next B? The boils. No offense to any wonderful people with that last name. It's spelled differently, so. <laughs> I think they're going to charge over here from the fellowship hall right now. We're, we're glad you're here. The hail, good. Lava? The locusts. You can't forget the locusts. You remember their um, ears and their belly? That story? The darkness and, of course, the firstborn. What I want to point out with this list is this is the first introduction to us of something different in the plagues, and that is of God making a distinction in terms of who is afflicted and who is not afflicted. Do you see where that goes with the 10th plague? Pretty important stuff. So my first answer is no. Does God treat everyone the same? Obviously not. God makes distinctions. Again, I don't have a universe, so I might, in my human thinking of kindness and, and hopefully some goodness, I, I might think that you wouldn't inflict justice on anybody. And then I get to think about how that really works in this world. Does that work? I don't think so. Does it? God makes distinctions. He says, regarding this plague, of the flies and then the livestock. With the flies, I'm going to deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. They're not going to have to deal with the fly issue. There it is. You might think that God loves people in Alaska where it's colder more than he loves them here because of the flies, but the mosquitoes are bigger. <laughs> the plague of gnats. Did you know some have guessed that those are mosquitoes, not the gnats that you think of? Boy, that makes that plague really nasty, doesn't it? Mosquitoes, they're, they're bad news. <laughs> and then, of course, in the plague of the livestock, same thing. God's making a distinction. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, and it's explicitly spelled out for us. There's even record of Pharaoh researching this to see if this really came true. Why is that important? 
it's because of what's going to happen in next week's sermon. It's because of what's going to happen with Passover. Some will die and some will not die. And I think that's so very important. Now, let's put this into New Testament terms. Because if you're like me, you just want to say, well, this is all Old Testament difficult stuff, right? Jesus came. I'm so thankful. Does that mean that God does not make distinctions? Let's talk about that as New Testament Christians. Jesus said at the end of the age, he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And do you remember what the reason was for the separation? Was it based on whether or not they had put their faith in Christ? No. It was, it was actually through what they did and didn't do. Is that a mystery to you? Does, does that interfere with your ideas about salvation? Good. <laughs> I want to provoke you to study this for yourself. Jesus Christ coming into this world with grace and truth does not set aside God making distinctions between those who harden their hearts and those who do not. It's all the way back here in Exodus, and I think it's a real issue. And it's even in New Testament terms. In fact, because Matthew 25 is about the end of the age, in fact, we're going to have judgment going on all the way to the end of the age. Did you think it was going to be easy? (laughs) Uh, Right here in Revelation, there's an interesting tie, perhaps, to the plagues. Then I saw three impure spirits, this is John's revelation on the island of Patmos, that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. There's going to be judgment on this world. And I know it's not a comfortable, rosy thought. Did you come to church today to be encouraged? I'm going to talk about flies and dead cows. (coughs) Throw in some goats, too. (laughs) Lest we forget the severity of our sin lest we forget that when we choose to do things our own way versus God's way, it hurts us and it hurts others. And God takes it seriously. God makes distinctions. I think that that is a thoroughly New Testament idea. He makes distinctions. We don't like it necessarily, and I think that's okay if we don't like it. Because I would prefer to bend my knee to a God that I trust, knows exactly what he's doing, than to trust my logic about such things. God makes distinction. Secondly, well, does God treat everyone the same? No. (laughs) And no. And it's because some repent, and it's because some do not. And this really is at the crux of everything else that's going on in the book of Exodus. We realize that that Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh over and over and over and over says, no. You have this refrain coming through. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, (laughs) harden his heart again. Aren't we this way, though, sometimes? Aren't we? As long as I have good circumstances. When things get hard and painful and difficult, right? There's no atheists in foxholes. When I'm desperate, I'm calling out to God with all that I got. 
But when the flies go away, it's human nature. And, and I think it's highlighted in Pharaoh and what he does and what he doesn't do. In all, there are actually 19 references to hardening, the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. And 10 of them directly say that God hardened his heart. And it says why. It's for the glory of God. But I introduced this earlier. I hope you caught it. I won't say too much about it. But what I will say is that there are other references in there mixed in where Pharaoh is the one who hardened his heart, including the ones that are printed here on your outline. Pharaoh is the one who hardened his heart. So is that fair? That God hardened his heart versus he hardened his heart? Well, again, I'm just going to say, God is sovereign even over Pharaoh. Wouldn't it be just as much of an infringement of personal liberty for God to soften his heart as for God to harden his heart? Are you with me? We have free choice. We get to choose whether we fall in line with what God says or whether we rebel against what God says. Whether we confess and say, I admit, God, that what what I'm doing is wrong. Confess means just to agree. I'm agreeing with you, God. You already know about it. I'm not telling you anything new. I agree with you, God, that, that I'm on the wrong path. And I turn away from that. Not everybody's going to do that in this world. Jesus was really clear about that. And in fact, he, he called the path uh, to the kingdom a narrow road and a narrow gate. Yet it still surprises us when the world acts like the world, doesn't it? Just get all upset, frustrated. Some will repent and some won't. And therefore, not all are treated equally. They're not treated the same way. But of course, well, oh, I, I better go on. Oh, this is really interesting because I'm going to skip this seventh plague, right? You're okay with that? Did you want me to go 10 weeks? <laughs> the seventh plague, I think this is fascinating. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Give an order to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has been brought in and is still out, I'm sorry, that has not been uh, brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Do you get that? It's like a warning of what you could do. Then it says, those officials of Pharaoh, did you get that? Not just the Israelites, the Hebrews. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves, who are those? Hebrews. To bring their, their Hebrew slaves and their livestock inside But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and their livestock in the field, and they died. Have you ever noticed that one? That's a different kind of a distinction. The seventh plague not only makes a distinction, but there's a choice involved in the distinction. Isn't that interesting? Like I said, one person's sin can cost you. God allowed some of his own people to die because... It says, right, the, the Egyptians who, who ignored it left them outside. Isn't that fascinating? I love that there's reference here to the Egyptians who feared the Lord. It's such a hint of what the gospel is all about. 
don't think for a second that the reason that the Hebrews are treated in a way that is inconsistent with the way the Israel, the Hebrews are treated in a way that's inconsistent with the Egyptians. Don't think for a second that it's because they deserve it. They don't. Over and over, the Old Testament's going to show you all the rebellion of God's people. It's not. Why is it? It's because of his covenant. God decided. Again, it's that sovereignty thing. We struggle with that, don't we? I guess you get to choose what you're going to do with sovereignty. I choose to bend the knee and say, God, I trust you. They got to choose. And so some died and some didn't die in the seventh plague also. God made a distinction. Just like he's going to make a distinction when it comes to Passover. They will choose to put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. Some repent and others do not. How about New Testament terms? Galatians 3. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That was written to Christians in the first century. It, it kind of matters for me and you today, I believe, whether we humble our hearts or whether we harden our hearts. And, and we choose that. So what is God saying to you now? How about to us as a church? It matters whether we're hardening our hearts or it matters as a church whether we're humbling our hearts. What is God saying to us now? And are we willing to follow? Are we willing to say yes? Are we willing to trust him even when these things don't make sense? Or do we just really just care about circumstances and as long as the hail stops, we're fine? Okay, the answer is yes. Does God treat everyone the same? The answer is no. The answer is no. And the answer is yes. All are invited to receive grace. And you even see it in Exodus with Egyptians who feared God. Lest we point a finger at the Egyptians, they're so backwards and against God's purposes, don't forget that 400 years earlier, Egypt was God's vessel for the salvation of his people. You remember? God chose Egypt to take care of them during a famine. That was God's choice. That's how he did it. We know that with Abraham's covenant, well, before all this, right? that he's going to be a blessing, his descendant, who is Jesus, to everyone. It's for everyone. It's not, not just for Hebrews. It's not just for Israel. Certainly not just for Egypt. It's for all of us. In that sense, we're all invited. I love 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9, the context is people are wondering, why, why is God taking so long to deliver us? Why is God allowing injustice? These are Christians who are being killed for their faith. 
Why? Why? It's unfair. Does God treat everyone the same way? Is the language of Peter. What's going on? Is God still in control? And God says, you know, a day is like a thousand years. <laughs> and he says, but God isn't slow. Here's what he's up to. He's patient with you. He hasn't returned to settle the score and bring justice ultimately to the earth, which we want to see. He hasn't done that because he's being patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Did you get that? He's giving us time. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That's what he's after. We think we're waiting on God, but God's waiting on us. Would we, the church, be willing to repent? Would we be willing to soften our hearts at the sovereignty of God? His grace is available to everyone. I had this thought this morning that God's grace is like a beautiful sunset. I know that sounds really postcard cheesy, but let me explain. Last night, Teresa and I were at Brooks's house, and his mom and dad were there too. <laughs> but I think they know what's up. We were at Brooks's house, and Kyle was in the backyard for something, and he called us all outside, and we all came outside, and there was this glorious sunset last night. I don't know how many of you saw it, but they have a beautiful view of it in their backyard. Wow. I mean, just these layers of color just all across the clouds. And just so thinking about that this morning, I would have missed that. I was too busy with Brooks. <laughs> I was too busy with other great things. But this, it's kind of that way. God's grace is available to all of us if we're paying attention. And I pray that we do pay attention. I want to invite us to a few moments of reflection and listening. We call this open worship. It's a time that none of us have pre-planned. We want to let the Lord plan this time. It's a time for us to recognize that only Jesus knows how to speak to your personal condition. And the Lord is pleased to speak through other voices if there are those that feel that they are prompted to share as well. You're encouraged to do that. If you're in the fellowship hall, you're invited to use this microphone. This time is not broadcast on the internet. It's a time that's in-house for us. If you're online, we want to invite you to use this time to comment. If there's some way that God is speaking to you, we would really value hearing that as well. Either way, whether in silence or otherwise, let's each do our best to pay attention. What is God saying to us? And may we be obedient. Let's listen.